It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, but this is not just any episode. I mean, it is an Articles of News episode, but it is the episode of the beast. And were I to have thought ahead, I would have made my voice going, the beast. The beast. (laughs) Some sort of, uh, whatever. It's episode 666. So join us in the third block. I visit with uh, Dan McClellan, who uh, people probably know from TikTok and or other online properties. They don't know him from the BYU anymore, though. I knew before uh, others knew that he was not going to be teaching at BYU, but I was I was told to keep it hush-hush. But you can hear him talk about Satan in the Yay. third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> and, and surprisingly enough, no references to the church lady and Satan as we chat. Okay, I've been thinking about that ever since you reached out to me. I'm like, hmm. Satan, how many times can that come up today? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we'll only do six articles of news as we talk about six people uh, that are in the news and the six effects. Oh, no, it's taken over the entire thing. Uh, you may or may not recognize the voice uh, that's joining me to co-host this articles of news. It's Megan Mitchell. Thanks for being here, Megan. So excited, Richie. So I've... excited. But I have a question for you. Okay. If I can jump right in. Yes, so please. I was listening to an articles of news a couple, probably like two weeks ago that okay. you did with Russ Wild. That's uh-huh. his name, right? Sure. Well, we do all, all the, the really, we the do all the stuff. terrible news. Yeah, exactly. And you said each of my uh, news co-hosts, I know what they can lean into. You know, they uh-huh. kind of have their their topics that they lean to. So, what is it about me that made you think, hmm, Megan should do the Satan episode? Uh, well, I was talking with your <laughs> husband, and need we say more? Oh, that sounds right. <laughs> oh, that tracks. I was like, that tracks. I must have a quality. <laughs> yeah. There's something satanic about me. That's an interesting thing. You know, what I thought about, though, is that every uh, every one of the co-hosts has some sort of nickname. And it dawned on me as you were, you know, as your uh, ellipses were waiting to join this meeting. I don't have a nickname for you yet. Hmm. So well, it's how, not how, a thing, how do we decide that? It's not a thing that you get away in on. That's what I was just about to okay. say. <laughs> you, you don't get to pick. I'll figure something out. But over okay. the years, I mean, we have Russell, who is Russ the Love Must. That's what we used to call him back in college. Okay. Uh, you have just Joni, who hasn't been with us for a while. But you got okay. Annette Luthy Lion. You got the Pharaoh mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. You know, all these different Mr. Nicknames. Mayor. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Mayor. It will come. It just has okay. not come yet. I just don't want you to feel okay. left out. I want you to not feel like it's an oversight. It burdens me and is why I've been up for several hours. The question I would have for you uh, <laughs> as you're part of this episode 666, what is mm-hmm. new with you? What is new with me? Let's see. My 15-year-old just got her learner's permit on Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my oldest got her driver's license back in this like November, December. So now I've got a permitted driver. Yeah. So then we'll have two drivers. And um, so that's really exciting. Uh-huh. My middle son is turning 12 tomorrow. Okay. So also very exciting. Dance recital last week for my eight-year-old. And, you know, uh, let's see. Anything else? I got some fun stuff coming up with my podcast that I'm really excited for. The Little Lessons podcast. So that's going to be exciting. Um, I've been binge listening. I should let you know. I got a little bit behind. I had to catch right. up. I, I'll allow it. But I did some dishes, so we're almost caught up at awesome. a lot of dishes. At a lot of awesome. dishes. <laughs> wife, wife was out of town. And it's funny to me, uh, when, when spouse goes out of town, I think it's pretty telling, like, what you do with your yeah. time when your spouse is gone, right? And yeah. I think for some people, like, it's different but where my wife and I, we don't have kids in-house. Uh, I mean, it really is. It's like, oh, unfettered. I can do whatever I want for any amount Free of time rain. that I would like to do. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I found it to be fascinating that the first thing that I did was go to the grocery store and buy everything that a five-year-old would eat sure. and sort of give me this challenge that to, to be able to eat it all before she got back. She was only gone for a couple of days, but I'm, you know, I'm buying a, a six pack of Mountain Dew. I'm, you know, uh, a, a couple of boxes of Gushers because they were on sale. And they're Gushers. Who doesn't yeah. love Gushers? I'm uh, 39 bo- and I'll take a Gusher any day of the week. A box of Lucky Charms. That was part of it as well. Some cookie dough and some really, okay. really great ice cream. Now, here's the deal. I feel like garbage now after having consumed all that in a couple of days. But 
I thought that was interesting. And then uh, the other thing, like I, I probably over the weekend while she was gone, I probably recorded like eight or nine episodes of the cultural hall. That's like impressive. I just set them back to back to back and just plowed through and did that. And, and, and I bought a TV. <laughs> That's an impressive list of accomplishments. Yeah, honestly, yeah. we had talked about the TV, so it's not like it's coming from nowhere. And, and, and she said, well, do you need the TV? And I said, well, no, that's the best part of this TV. Right. I don't need it. And then but the I second that she went out of town, I was like, I got to get this before she gets back. Right. You know, when my, when my husband goes out of town, I mean, of course, we have the six kids. So I have to do like any Everything. driving that he would help me do. I have to do it all right. Mm -hmm. But we eat a lot more cereal for dinner. Sure. And I'm not mad about that. But the thing that I struggle with is that I cannot sleep when mm. he's away. Like. I'm up until two, three in the morning, every single night, literally until I pass out. Like there's, there's no getting me to sleep at a reasonable time. And then I still have to wake up at the normal times. And mm -hmm. so I'm literally running on fumes the entire time, which he doesn't travel a ton on it, like on his own. He'll, and if he does, he's usually only gone for like two days, mm -hmm. but like last summer he went out of town for like 10 days on a fishing trip up in Canada. And I was like, when you come home, if I'm not a zombie, it'll be a miracle because I can't do it. And and like sometimes I'll be like, hey, one of my kids come sleep in my bed with me so that maybe I'll get a reasonable amount of sleep. Is it a heat issue? A safety issue? Like, what's the deal here? Um, I think let's talk about it. Go ahead and sit down on the couch and I will tell All right. you. Let's unpack this a little yes, bit. So it's definitely it. it's a safety issue for sure. Okay. Cause I'm like any bump in the night. I'm uh -huh. like, okay, I got, I got, I've got six kids that I've got to round up if we're sure. evacuating or if there's a fire or something, plus the dog and the turtle, like sure. that's and, a yeah. lot. Yeah. The turtle, know. especially. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's also just like the presence of the warm body in the bed next to me, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, then the anxiety that I'm going to miss something the next day when he's not there to like, help me like, mm -hmm. Am I going to forget to pick somebody up from basketball practice because he usually does that on his way home from work or something like that? Right. You know, right. Right. Or, or as has happened in the past, we've had like big things happen with our kids while he's been out of town that have mm -hmm. been, um, one instance in particular was particularly traumatic where I had to call him and be like, Hey, this thing is going on. I know you're not going to be home for a couple of days, but we've got to, you know, things yeah. like that. And I hope like, you enjoy your I, time away. This traumatic exactly. thing is happening here. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's just kind of all of that wrapped into one. I don't know how single parents do it. I mm. am amazed by them. Yeah. Absolutely amazed because if I didn't have my husband with me, it would, everything would go to six, six, six in a hand basket, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, they're warriors, right? Single parents are warriors. They I, are. I, as you were talking about that, I remember uh, at one point in one of my marriages, not the one I'm currently in, uh, whenever she would go out of town, I would sleep in a different bed. Oh, I don't know okay. why, but like I felt compelled in that particular, you know, time in that mm -hmm. particular relationship to be like, oh, listen, now this is where we sleep when we're together. If she's gone, I'll sleep in one of the other beds. It's yeah. weird as I look back on it now, but well, and I think we I get weird when things are out of the ordinary, when they're out of our normal pattern and our normal uh, routine, mm -hmm. we just get a little bit weird. Like I all of a sudden decide, oh, I think I'll rearrange my bedroom furniture this week while my husband's out of town. Why, why would I do that? I can't yeah. move any of it. It's yeah. way too big for me to move on my own. So how are you but rearranging it then if you're not that? moving it? I'm not. I oh. I like try to enlist my teenagers and I'm like, no. well, that project got about an eighth of the way done. And a couple of years later, it's still an eighth of the way done. Perfect. That's great. That's <laughs> great. Well, uh, let's take a break and let's come back That's and good. we'll do some actual articles of news in the second block. And then don't forget, we're talking all things say in the third block with Dan McClone. Let's take a break and come back and do that. If you've ever thought about starting a podcast and, well, you just don't know what to do, I would encourage you to reach out to me. Now, I am at Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias. You can find and follow me there. Uh, you can also send me an email, richietstedman at gmail.com, if you'd like to know more about what uh, I do as far as being a podcast coach and consultant. But let me just say this. 
may I say this? Almost 600 episodes under my belt. I could certainly be able to help you. Now, let me say this as well. I know a lot of you are thinking, well, listen, I yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to get thousands of followers. Here's the best part about podcasts. Sometimes they can just be for fun. Other times they can be for really small niche audiences and you can make a truck ton of money. We can talk about it, how you could do it if you would like. You can reach out to me at Richie T. Stedman, wherever you find me, or certainly if you send me a message at the Cultural Hall, I'll be able to answer it there as well. Have you, have you considered starting a podcast? Reach out to me. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can become a Patreon saint to encourage you to do so. It's been a little dry there, everybody. Uh, haven't had a bunch of people coming in. We'd love to have you do it. It's patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Put your money where your ears are. Be able to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. Uh, where we had quite the chat, actually, about uh, episode 666. So you would have known all about what was going on if you are a Patreon saint. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Let's do some actual articles of news. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. And we will let ladies go first, which I guess means you, Megan. That would be me. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think. I, I, yeah. Richie, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a lady. <laughs> Anybody see a lady? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm going to start with, I know we got to get through this fast. Okay. So an LDS Vietnam War vet had his um, dog tags returned to him after 56 years. This story was fascinating. So yeah. this gentleman, he um, was not an active member of the church when he went to go and serve in Vietnam. Um, he was a 19 year old who had been drafted into the military. Mm -hmm. uh, previous to that, he tells some really amazing stories about when he was in like a car accident as a teenager and seminary class fasted and prayed for him. And it was a miraculous recovery. But then at 19, he's drafted into to Vietnam. And on his first day in the country, in his foxhole, they got attacked with a grenade. And everybody in the foxhole with, he was in, with, there was some of his friends, uh, they died and he survived, Jeez. Jeez. but somehow his dog tags became separated from his body. Um, he talks about how it was so miraculous that he, they were able to save his legs, which they weren't sure about. Um, but then he went on with his life after he recovered and was able to work and everything fast forward to about 30 years ago. There's a gentleman named, oh, I mean, I forget his name, um, McGavin, Scott McGavin from Utah. He was um, uh, finishing up his dental schooling and went to go work with Operation Smile over in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And while he was there, <clears throat> excuse me, he went to like a thrift store where they were selling a lot of Vietnam memorabilia. And he started looking through the dog tags and he found three that listed Latter-day Saints as the uh, religious affiliation. He brought them home, kind of didn't really, like, he was really drawn to them. He's a Latter-day Saint, so he's very drawn to these Latter-day Saint soldiers, but brought them home with them, him, and they just kind of sat in his nightstand for a long time. And he looked in the church's military database, couldn't ever find any of these three brothers. Um, they weren't brothers, brothers in Christ, you know, LDS yeah, brother, brothers. Brothers in um, arms. Yeah, but exactly. Brothers in the military, I get you. Exactly. Yeah. And he said two of them had very common names, um, but he still could never find them. But then this gentleman um, who he connected with, Brother Skogard, um, he ended up finding him by just posting on social media. He posted mm. on Facebook looking for this guy, couldn't actually find him through that initial post. But then something came up for sale by this Martin Skogard. And so McGavin reached out to him and they connected and he was able to return his dog tag. Now, the amazing part about this is that um, after he served in uh, Vietnam, he uh, got remarried 
to a woman who, and they were not active in the church at all. And they had a little girl who passed away in a car accident. And the dad, brother Skullgard, he would go to her grave every single day and pray to feel connected to her. And that was when he started getting interested in the church again. His wife took the missionary discussions and they were sealed as a family. And then he just got his dog tags back. Um, Such an incredible story that spans so far, you know, continents, countries, decades. decades. Yeah. 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 It's just a really, really neat story. Um, He's still looking for two other dog tag owners, Larson and Velasquez. So, yeah. And you can find a link to that story in the show notes so people can can check that out. And if they if they might know Larson or what was the other name? Velasquez. Velasquez. Maybe they can yeah. be able to help uh, reunite those folks with those dog tags. That's yeah. that's crazy. I like those stories, and we don't talk about those very much in the cultural hall because they're sort of these feature stories and a little bit longer. But it's a little bit lighter uh, week as far as the news goes, and because there's opposition in all things. And the third block of this episode is all about Satan. We have to have good stuff in the beginning of this. Like, Absolutely. Uh, like that story and like this story. Uh, there's a missionary that is serving right now in Southern California. His name is Elder Kali Aloha Nico. Uh, he's impressive in with that pronunciation. Thank you. I'm not even sure I got it right, but I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I phonetically sounded it out. And then what I knew about Hawaiian, I took it. He's serving in the Arcadia mission, uh, and he is an inspiration to anyone who meets him. And so you're thinking, well, why might, might you ask? Well, because he was born with no legs. That's not true, Richie. I read this story last night. He was born with legs and had to have them amputated. Oh, come when on. he was about like 10 years old, I think. Okay. Oh, wait, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But, but, but always had physical challenges with his yes. legs. Yes. Um, the doctors had predicted that <laughs> that perhaps he had Down syndrome, a cleft palate, a cyst on his brain. It simply wasn't there. And so now he's serving the Lord with no legs. There's a big video about him. You can find the link of, about this in the show notes. And the thing that I sort of think about this is, one, I think it's tremendous. And then, two, I think, I wonder if he just wants to be like, listen, I'm just a missionary serving like everyone else. Right. right. Like we put sort of turn this special attention, you know, towards him and towards what he's doing, which I do think it's great. I think it's amazing. And I think that there are some people in a similar position who would have said, oh, I can't do it. Or maybe woe is me. And maybe that's where the inspiration comes from. But I can't, but I can't help but wonder if there is a little bit of it where he's just like, guys, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a guy serves with red hair. It almost is no different than, you know, me serving. This is just what, what it is and how it is. Right. I, I watched that video last night, actually. And so that's why the information is all fresh in my mind. But um, his his testimony is incredible. Um, and I love how he he talks about the miracles that preceded him even being born and um, the faith of his parents. But yeah, that is an interesting uh, thing to think about that. Like, yeah, this is just me. I'm there like my legs my prosthetic legs are just a part of me. It is what it is, you know? Do, do you um, think, I want, I wonder, cause now I kind of go back and forth, right? I go, well, but is that denying maybe the, the miracles that like, if he's just like, yeah, get over it, move along. Right. Well, and I, I don't think the that, miracles, or I don't do we think focus so. on, yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's acknowledging the miracles that allow him potentially to have that attitude that like, yeah, this is, this is me. And it's because of the miracles that he, can feel that way. I don't know. Huh. It's it's an interesting experiment. Thought experiment. I, I also wonder if because I, the way I I look at stories and then immediately sort of form opinions or have questions around it, I wonder if I'm just projecting on. <laughs> you know that weekend, is you know that is possible. You know we we had a conversation with our kids yesterday um, about just going on missions and being you know missionary work and all of that. And a couple of my kids are worried that they have some challenges that would preclude them from serving internationally or serving Mm -hmm. a typical proselyting mission. You know, I have a daughter who has arthritis. I don't know if that would allow her to serve someplace like South Africa or something like that, because I don't know what medical care she would have access to. You know, I have another son who has really, really severe ADHD. I don't know how that would impact missionary work for him, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for people to see somebody in that sort of circumstance that like I can go out and serve and I have no legs, mm-hmm. it, it is inspiring. You know, sure. it does allow them to think, you know what, I, I could do it. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter where or how, 
You know, that's the other thing that we were talking about as well. That like, look, if you get called to uh, Indiana, that is just as important as going to Peru. You know, it's you're going to do the work that the Lord needs you to do, regardless of where you are. And he's going to use your challenges to make you a better, more effective minister and missionary. So. And heads up for anyone who listens to this and thinks about stateside missions and kind of goes, tell you what. You can afford to go back to Ohio a heck of a lot more times than you can afford to go to Brazil, you know? True. I have friends that served in these foreign countries that they were like, oh man, the experience was great. And I'm not downplaying it. I'm sure it was a great experience. But I can fly, you know, back to Cleveland when, you know, one guy decided to get baptized a couple months after I left. I could go back. Uh, one of right. the guys that I taught decided to serve a mission and I got to go to his mission farewell because it wasn't, I didn't have to have a passport. I didn't have to get shots. I didn't have to save $2,000. I was able to just be like, yeah, I'm I'm flying to Cleveland for the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Exactly. And you know, the Lord is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of nations either. So it's just as important to serve in Ohio or, you know, Tennessee or anywhere. Well, but there's a couple of states. I'm glad you didn't elaborate too much because there's a couple (laughs) of states. I'm pretty sure he's like, no, thanks. (laughs) What other news stories do you have, Megan? All right. So we know that BYU is prolific with their language teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, I think they rank third as the turning out the best language ability with their students, Okay, uh, but they offer the most languages out of any university in the United States uh, that they teach their people or to their students, um, but they have added a new language. And it's the first one in the United States to offer this language. And it is Azer, sorry, Azerbaijani. Yeah. Uh, nice which Good is pronunciation. Thank you. Thank you. So that's, that's really exciting. The um, ambassador from Azerbaijan came and visited BYU to recognize them and said that it's, it's really, really cool that BYU is doing this because, um, they go in depth with their teaching. They're not just teaching the language, they're teaching the culture and how to understand the language and the people um, of the, the country that that language is from. Um, Azerbaijani 101 has 11 students and it's taught by a BYU senior, hmm. Andrew Bonney, who served his Latter-day Saint mission in Armenia, which is neighbor a neighboring country to Azerbaijan. Hmm. Um, so really, really cool. Um, I, I just think that that's really neat. That's not a a language that I, I, you know how some countries will speak, like they don't have a unique language, you know, you have like, I don't know, like Like Mexico and Mexico speaks Spanish. Sure. Right. And Guatemala speaks Spanish. So it's, you know, the same. So I didn't really ever think that Azerbaijan would have a language unique to them. Mm-hmm. And so that opened my eyes a lot. And I'm sure that'll be eye-opening for a lot of other people. So really, really cool that BYU is doing that. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, but I think you answered it. It's just a mm-hmm. class in Azerbaijani. It's yeah. not that you can't major or minor or anything like that. It's just a, would you like to know about Azerbaijani? And people are like, well, I, I wanted to know about, uh, you know, uh, Portugal, but that class was full. I wanted to know right. about uh, South Africa, but that was class was full. All right. 11 right. of us are going to take Azerbaijani. Right, right. Yeah. So it's just the one class so far. But BYU has in total 132 foreign language courses. And of that, those 132 courses, 73 languages are represented. Hmm. So you've got the ones that you could major in. Like, I think you can major in like Spanish and French and Portuguese, sure. and, you know, but um, Azerbaijani fits right in there. So pretty cool. You know, I want to, because I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with what you were just talking about. Uh, There was an article in Deseret News about why there are so many Latter-day Saint ambassadors. And I didn't read the article. I did. I I just feel like without, with just reasoning, reaching or reading the headline, it's because we're, our people of integrity who know lots of languages. Exactly. Exactly. So I did read that article, actually. And yes, they do talk about how we're good citizens, we have integrity. And in the countries we live in, we're good citizens as well. So if we go and live outside of America, we're we're good citizens in Sweden, or wherever, you know, and Mm -hmm. we love our languages, we love learning languages and getting good at them, not just getting, you know, knowing 
the base phrases, we actually can converse. Um, but they also talked about how foreign service is very similar to missionary service in that as a missionary, you go out, you're presenting the ideas and the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you're an ambassador, you're representing the ideals and the policies of a government, you know? And so it's, it's all a, probably can't say it's selfless, but it's all for a higher purpose than ourselves, you know, sure. whatever that means to the individual. So but it just, it seemed to me like there would be no surprises. I'm like, it's just because right. it's just an extension of a mission, but without, you know, the doctrine part of it. Okay. Right. Right. And it's right. like, they headlined, share... big article. Can you believe how many there are? It's like, yeah, I can. The, the, the one cool thing in that article is they closed with a story with this family who were, it was, the dad was the ambassador in Sweden. And they would do these family concerts like once a month, I guess, because all of the kids would sing and the wife was a pianist, a professional piano player. And, and they made their costumes out of the drapes. I've seen this movie. Most likely. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the dad would serve, would uh, share a message about family, you know, and they would have um, notable people from the country. They'd have the temple president, mission president, you know, oh, cool. and on their last one while they were in the country, I guess one of the princes from the royal, the Swedish royal family was there in attendance. And He's like the deputy to the king of Sweden. And um, at the end of the, this little family concert, he got up and he said, we're so grateful for your family, not for anything that you did in service to your country, not for, you know, the policies or anything. But it was he said, we're grateful to you because you reminded us about family values, which is something that we had lost a long time ago. Hmm. So pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So, I love that. Uh, this came out just uh, over the weekend. BYU announces its first ever EFY for young single adults. Any young single adults who are missing the camaraderie, friendship, and fun that they experience as in an EFY youth participant, a brand new opportunity is coming this summer. BYU will be putting on the first ever, especially for young single adults, or EFYSA. Uh, the event is available to young single adults ages 18 to 30 and will take place August 16th through the 19th in Nauvoo. As part of the week-long experience, attendees will also have a chance to visit the Nauvoo Temple, experience the spirit of, histor uh, of historic Nauvoo, and its church history sites. Tuition for the program will run between $215 and $395, and you can find a link to it not only in the show notes, you can also go to efysa.ce.byu.edu. It's a lot easier if you just find it in the show notes. Pretty Very cool. cool. Huh? Right? Very cool. I am wondering though, so they they reverted back to the EFY, which we don't use for kids anymore. We use mm -hmm. FSY. Could they have not done FSYSA for the strength of the young single adults? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. My guess they had they had ordered a bunch of EFY t-shirts. <laughs> That's probably and, right. And we didn't want to just let them go to waste. And they're like, guys, one more time. I one mean, time. it doesn't have the word Mormon in it. I think we're okay. <laughs> we'll get a pass. Let's use these shirts up. I to me, uh, I think that that event would be huge. You know, you hear yeah. about there, I think it's called Duck Beach in California, that big yeah. singles thing where everyone goes to California over spring break that are members of the church. And maybe it gets a little wild. Maybe there's been a yeah. documentary made about it. But uh, I mean, for the church to provide something like this, I think that's that's awesome. Being able to connect with Very other cool. young single adults. And I mean, even if you don't connect with anyone else, just being able to go to Nauvoo and have four or yeah. five days and and learn the history and all that stuff. I think that's pretty awesome. That's very cool. Uh, we very cool. go quick. We're running out of time, Megan. All right. Um, sorry, I don't know where to go next. Order of priority. Tell me about the new app thing, the meeting house thing. Yeah. So this is not actually an app. It's a new tool to help with um, integrating into Google Maps or Siri or other um, softwares like that. So okay. somebody from the stake should be called to update this database. So it's not going to be in the Gospel Library app. Or I mean the LDS Tools app. So this is all like I don't know, third party or separate from that. But they're they're they are able to update phone numbers, relevant phone numbers, meeting times, local customs that will affect church meetings and whatnot. So somebody wants to just say into their phone, "Hey Siri, where is an LDS meeting house?" It should be easier to now locate those. Hmm. Um, and Good. Uh, yeah, 
Because so, you know you can go like the meeting house locator and you used to be able to type in like worship with us and then you could mm -hmm. be like where it's at and then you don't know if the ward has updated it and right. all of the things. Well, and in areas with new builds, I noticed that uh, meeting houses wouldn't be updated in like out in Harriman. I had a friend who moved into Harriman in a, like a brand new neighborhood and she didn't know where to go to church. She's a convert. So she didn't know where, where to go or anything. And I was trying to look it up on meeting house locator could not find a thing, Yeah, you know? And so this way, it sounds like things will be more updated more in real time, Good, which will be useful. Good. So. Call me to be the Google map updater. So Bishop. it does say that it needs to be somebody on the communications committee of the state. Call me to be a part of the communications committee for the stake so I can be the Google map updater. This Love was it. cool. Uh, uh, this is just a, a brief mention. You know, we talked about how the church gave $32 million um, last year um, to uh, in collaboration with UNICEF and the WFP. Uh, mm -hmm. There was an article about this because the headline is church funds are curbing malnourishment for mothers and children in Kenya, which I think is awesome. Uh, WFP is the World Food Programs, and it's sure. spelled old Englishy programs. Um, here, here's what I, I think was fascinating. And unfortunately, what I took away from this article, they have a thing called super cereal, and I just want to try it. Yeah. Super, super cereal is highly fortified blend of corn, soybeans, dried skim milk and sweetener that's made into a porridge. And I just, you know, I, I don't want to downplay the amazing uh, amount of good that this donation is doing, but I, I read super cereal and I was like, yes, that's what the world needs. Yes. We will save the world with super cereal. But it does sound like an allergist nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got all but, the things yeah, all of the things all of the <laughs> things that allergists uh people that are allergic cannot have uh yep. what what other stories do you have megan all right so this cute lds young woman in the philippines um she was on tiktok and she bought a purse okay, okay. and it was she called it a luxury purse it's from a store called charles and keith i don't know that store at all but she um, apparently her family had to save a lot of money to buy her this purse. And it was an $80 purse, which I mean, that's a lot for me to spend on a bag. So I sure. get it. But like sure. everybody, she was on TikTok talking about it, how excited she was. She called it a luxury purse and people were dragging her for it. They're mm. like, who's going to tell her that that's not a, that that's not a luxury purse or whatever. And which like, Come on, guys. Can we just let people have their thing and be excited about it? Yeah, let her have it? a luxury like, purse. Exactly. And she said, I can't believe I got hate over a bag that I was excited to have. To you, an $80 bag might not be a luxury, but for me and my family, it is a lot. So she's being praised because she had a very measured response to it. And um, I agree with her. Like, dang, if I... If my family, when I was a teenager, had spent $80 on a purse for me, that would have been huge, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... um. Let people have their thing and be excited for it. Don't be a jerk about it. No, I That's have to I get have on. To they posted about it. Right. I have to tell them how wrong they are. Exactly. Or else. Can you imagine exactly. if I didn't say something, Megan? I know. I know. The world Did it would even just happen? go on. She I might know. feel good about herself and be encouraged to share something in the future. We can't have that. Exactly. Are you, exactly. Kidding, me? Are you kidding me right now? I mean, like, let's be honest. The internet for all of its good. It sucks sometimes, oh, you know, so bad. So, bad. and so I, I praise this cute girl, Zoe, for being, you know, standing up and just saying, you know what, I'm going to have my thing and I'm going to get over it. And you guys are the problem, not me. <laughs> yeah. You, you know? know, we mentioned uh, with the EFYSA, uh, but did not mention this, that this last week, people have been able to register their youth for FSY. Um, and apparently it was a debacle for so many people, uh, youth ages 14 to 18 who are not graduating in 2023, who are no younger than 14 and no older than 18 by December 31st, 2023, get to register first. So I guess they had a couple open registration dates, uh, North America, central area, North America, Northeast and North America, Southeast. That was this last Tuesday. Wednesday was Southwest and West Thursday. They opened it up for Utah and apparently it was hours on. On and we broke the internet. Oh. What I don't understand uh, in this, when we do the Tabernacle Choir Christmas series, let's expand it out and say with Taylor Swift and her concert yeah. series, like I do, like 
people have to know that these are things that are in demand. And by 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 the way, I am in no way comparing Taylor Swift to FSY haters. Go ahead and bring that. But the there is a, a a significant amount of demand. Why do we always get caught flat-footed going, oh, I had no idea. I had no, no idea. idea people would care about this. Nobody really wants to go to the Tabernacle Choir yeah. Christmas concert. Several, Not this year. <laughs> several hours. Several hours with the system shutting down, etc. So uh, if you weren't able to get in, you haven't gotten in yet, you can still continue to uh, register. After Thursday, March 16th, those who cannot attend the session that their stake is invited to get to have open registry at any available space in their country. And then um, after April 20th, youth that are in off-cycle stakes, because like one year your stake will do it, and then the right. next year another stake will do it, and you're supposed to only be able to go every other year. Mm -hmm. um, those that are in the off-stakes will be able to register. So get registered if you're going. Get so I, I just hacked the system last year and just got on after everybody was done when mm -hmm. I was registering my daughters. And so like there people were on like the ward Facebook page. They're like, all the BYU spots are gone. So you're going to have to go someplace else. And then I got on a couple hours later and I'm like, Oh, there's a BYU spot. Grab that for my daughter. You know, <laughs> well, and, you know, it, and if the kids, I mean, within reason, and maybe it's different, obviously this is my Utah centrism, you know, coming through, but like if she had to go to the Logan one would that be you know terrible right. the cedar city which is in southern utah would that be so no it'd be no. a great opportunity for me to her for her to meet other people that aren't you know exactly. wasatch front bound members of the church it's just exactly put a lot of weight in that stuff is there anything that you feel like we need to mention of the stories that you've got that will be like oh my gosh i can't believe that we didn't mention that this week they can wait until next time okay i think yeah. they'll be fine yeah well, we've but thanks off, for having me on, Richie. Of course, we've put off Satan for too long. We must allow right, him. I can't wait. To, I guess it's not really him. It's Dan. Dan, you're not Satan. <laughs> you just talk a lot about Satan. We'll come back and do that in the third block of this, the episode of the beast. Hi, friends. Dan, the laptop man here from PC Laptops. I get a lot of emails with feedback from customers. Here's one. Dear Dan, I just had the best experience ever. I bought a computer from Shane at your State Street store. I asked several what I thought were really stupid questions. Shane was super courteous and made me feel comfortable through the whole process. People need to understand how important it is to support a local company, especially when your experience is so good. PC Laptops really does love me. Signed, satisfied. I love hearing feedback like that. It really just gives me the chills. It's the whole reason why I got into the computer business in the first place. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. That means if anything goes wrong, we're going to take care of you. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we really do love you. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, well, you probably noticed uh, that uh, we called this episode the episode of the beast. And uh, it is the number 666. So we thought, when we think of Satan, who else do we think of? We think of Dan McClellan. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, uh, there is in the future a much longer episode uh, that needs to occur with us and with you. But when we thought of Satan, we know you have a big thing coming up about Satan that we'll talk about at the end of our discussion. But But when I said, hey, do you want to come talk about Satan? It was like, I, I don't know. I don't want to say like a Christmas and birthday wish wrapped up together. <laughs> you jumped at it. And now here we are. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say 666 is a significant episode and it happens to be one of the topics that comes up frequently on, uh, on my social media channels. There's, there seems to be a lot of concern for these days for last day's prophecies and a lot of uh, misinformation and conspiracy theories being uh, spread about the number 666 in, in DNA and in uh, COVID vaccines and, and everything like that. And uh, I, I always try to, to help people understand that that number doesn't really have any significance outside of the first century CE. It's not a secret code for anything other than one thing. Um, and that is the Emperor Nero. 
Um, the original significance, and we know this because our earliest manuscript of the book of Revelation that we have, where it talks about the number of the beast, the number actually isn't 666, it's 616, 616. Wait a minute, then we missed it. Where were you 50 episodes ago? <laughs> well, most people don't think that was original, but that is one of the earliest uh, textual witnesses that we have. And the reason that these two point in the same direction is because both of them are the sum you get when you use gematria to add up the value of the letters that spell out the name uh, Caesar Nero. And it depends on whether you spell the name using the Latin spelling, which would be Caesar Nero, or the Greek spelling, which would be Caesar Neron. There's an N on the end, and that N adds an extra 50 to the sum. Hmm. And so most, most scholars would say the Greek is likely original. And we have some Aramaic texts from around this time period that have the name Nero Caesar spelled out in Hebrew characters, and it's um, Kaiser Neron. Um, and so you using Gematria, you add up the value, and from the Greek, you get 666. From the Latin, you get 616. And so this seems to be a coded reference to the Emperor Nero, who was long dead by the time the book of Revelation was written. But there was a rumor going around that Nero was going to rise from the dead and return to impose his will on the Roman Empire, and particularly uh, against Christianity and further persecute Christianity. Uh, and so the book of Revelation here is kind of playing off that fear and suggesting this beast that is forthcoming, that's going to rise uh, and persecute Christianity, is the Emperor Nero. And so this is a way for early Christians to use these uh, these coded references and this imagery and this symbolism to try to exhort Christians to remain faithful in the face of persecution, which was probably not as bad at the time as we sometimes make it out to be, uh, but certainly wasn't an incredibly comfortable situation for them. So it, it's, if I'm understanding, it's essentially just like we're we're saying that he who shall not be named, but we all know who we're talking about, right? Yeah, and more we're or like, less. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's these numbers and this thing. I love that you make it uh, so that it's understandable. Um, and I also want to throw out that even though you give this very educated explanation of like, this is why it's this and this is why it's this. When you interact with people on social media, do you also get the people that are like, well, that's what they want you to think, Dan. <laughs> well, yeah, I get. A, there's a whole other level to this, sure. So you're yeah, gonna, that, you're going to keep us peaceful and calm, but there is an extra level. And do you want to know who this is? You know, you take <laughs> the letters of Caesar Nero and you change them around, and it's this person. That's who this is. Yeah, oh, I get plenty of that uh, on social media. I'm I'm very fortunate that I've attracted an audience that, for the most part, is able to think critically about this, and so I don't have to spend a ton of time responding to to those kinds of conspiracy theories. But yeah, there is no end to the conspiracy theorists who want to try to accommodate everything to the way the world works inside their head. And uh, and if I'm doing anything else, I hope that I'm getting people to think, uh, to realize that the world functions a little differently outside their head than it does inside their head. And, and hopefully uh, some people will come around and uh, and overcome and move past a lot of those conspiracy theories. I, I definitely think that you're succeeding at that. And there's maybe even a, a certain portion of this audience that is like, it's just three numbers. I've never really assigned any sort of value to it, right? It's, you know, like there are some what used to be, and I'm air quoting swear words that now people are like, yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm bore my testimony. And I said that word and a certain generation goes, I can't believe that they would say that word. <laughs> uh, so, so then it, it leads me to wonder then a lot of its power, maybe as it was then, is the power that we give it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I've, I've spoken a number of times on my channel about how texts have no meaning. Uh, the meaning is something that we bring to the text and in, in, um, negotiating with them and interpreting them. And similarly, these concepts really have no meaning outside of uh, whatever agreements we all arrive at about what meaning they're going to have. And so communities can get together and they can generate a meaning that that serves their purposes and their identity politics and then go out and try to wield it against other groups or try to convince other people. And uh, really, they mean whatever people agree they mean. 
And that I think is, I think that's a fascinating thing. It can also be a very dangerous thing. It can also be a very helpful thing. Uh, I think it depends on how you look at it. I think it depends on how groups are using their understandings of these things. And um, and if anything else, um, I, I think muddying the water a little bit uh, helps people to, I think, see a little better that these are not necessarily objective realities um, that exist outside of our discourse about them, but are really our products of our discourse. You know, interesting with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we come at Satan a lot different than than most people, right? Are, are, are there other faiths that believe in the, the brotherhood between Satan and Jesus? Um, not really. I, I think there are some folks who who have an easier time kind of acknowledging that than other other groups. But um, and and in the 19th century, I think there was a little more um, there was a will, little more willingness to see uh, Satan as a uh, another created being. But really, folks for the most part within Christianity don't like thinking of Jesus as a created being, hmm. uh, but as somebody who was begotten. And the distinction. Um, may be lost on a lot of folks, but but they distinguish created from begotten, um, and this goes all the way back to to Nicaea. But to say that they are both um, brothers, spiritual brothers, in the sense that they were both created by God, kind of reduces the divinity of Jesus for most of Christianity. And so there's an awful lot of pushback against that within mainstream Christianity. So is it is it the fact that Christ was created that people push back, or is it the relationship that Christ and also, you know, Satan, Lucifer, was was created as well, and that there are similarities between the two? Because I think I've always held that it was the latter, that they were like, how could you possibly assign a brotherhood to Satan, the you know, the king of darkness, to Jesus? It's a little bit of both. Um, I think some people... Some people caricature it as if we're suggesting that these are two uh, literal biological brothers, mm. um, when it's really more about the fact that they both are um, creations of God the Father. And uh, but I think it's uh, one to say that they are brothers is to put them on the same level, which mm. would be to bring Jesus down, and and it would also mean um, to compromise Jesus's divinity, which is something that's a bridge too far for most Christians. Okay. Okay. When we talked about what we might talk about uh, within our time, and again, we'll have you back on, we'll do a whole episode, we'll get to know you, uh, get to know why you have started to lean out in uh, social media channels to be able to teach the things that you teach and and all of that. But you had said uh, that you want to go into a bit of the development of the concept of Satan from the Hebrew Bible. So yeah. it's, it, so it's a concept, not a person. Is this all just a construct? Is this, <laughs> is it a, is it a mind control? Is that what we're doing? Well, Latter Day Saints uh, are familiar with the term adversary, and really, that's the the concept underlying the word Satan. But in the Hebrew Bible, Satan is not used as a personal name; it's used more as a role, and anyone can fill that role. So, in the story of uh, the messenger of Adonai, the angel of the Lord, confronting. Balaam in Numbers 22, for instance, it says that the angel took their stand as a Satan, as a Satan against um, Balaam. And so if you understand Satan to be a personal name, it's saying that the angel of the Lord is taking on the identity of Satan. And in reality, what it's saying is the angel of the Lord is functioning as an adversary. Um, I, I know a, a popular way to think about it that a lot of scholars cringe at is the notion that this is kind of God's uh, prosecuting attorney. This is the person who's responsible for going out and and accusing or going out and trying to trip up or, or going out and um, trying to uh, capture folks. And in the earliest periods, it wasn't associated with an individual. It was just a role that many different people could play. You could function as a Satan. And then uh, you get in the story of Job. It seems to be an individual, some kind of individuated figure that is, is filling this role on a more permanent kind of basis. And this person is among the B'nai Elohim, the, the sons of God. And so many scholars would suggest that this second tier of sons of God included um, Satan among them. But it's not really until you get to the Greco-Roman period with writings uh, like the Enochic literature, a lot of texts that we see in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, jubilees and things like this, that we get this development of a concept of evil spirits 
that are widespread. And as with angels, we also get this development of hierarchies and identities and names and responsibilities and, and sovereignties and things like that that are assigned to the angels and to the evil spirits. And one of the things that kind of develops naturally out of that discussion and that exploration is there must be a leader. There must be one who's in charge of, of them all. And across the different literature, you have um, Shemizaha, you have Mastema, you have uh, Belial, you have a bunch of different names associated with whoever this leader is, and it kind of shifts around. But by the time of the New Testament, you have now incorporated um, some Greco-Roman thought with uh, the Greek language, and so you now have this idea of devils, um, and you have this idea of Satan as an individuated figure, a person, a personified being. Um, and so the New Testament presents a much different perspective on Satan from the Hebrew Bible, and even from some of the literature of Greco-Roman period Judaism. And even the authors within the New Testament can treat uh, this figure in very different ways until we get kind of what most people think of as the culmination of the conceptualization of Satan in the book of Revelation, which is actually mixing a lot of different imagery that is associated with Leviathan and with Gog and Magog and, and with other figures. And so when we think of Satan today, we're really looking back on this large collection of very different texts through a lens that is colored by the book of Revelation and then colored by a lot of the popular literature that has kind of uh, developed a, um, more of a homogenized, consistent view. So things like uh, the Divine Comedy and, and things like that have uh, kind of made it more consistent, our view of, of hell, our view of Satan, our view of of fallen angels and things like that. And so that's the interpretive lens we look back on the Bible through. And so when we see things like Isaiah, where it talks about Lucifer, mm -hmm. Lucifer means light bringer. Um, it's a reference to the planet Venus. And in Isaiah, it is a sarcastic reference to the king of Babylon, who presumes to set himself up as a divine figure. And so the text is saying, ha, you you tried to you know exalt yourself above the stars of God, but um, you're going to fall to earth. And so Lucifer here is, is just a reference to a, a human king. But when we look back on the text and through this interpretive lens, we try to harmonize everything, treat it as one unified, um, univocal perspective. That is, uh, it speaks with the same consistent voice. And now Lucifer is identified with the serpent is identified with the beast, is identified with Satan, is identified with the devil, and it all gets um, consolidated within this one figure. And so it, it's a fascinating but complex process where people are coming up with different ideas and we're looking back on it and trying to shove it all together and say it's all one thing. So then the question uh, that comes to my mind, and, and maybe I'm a little embarrassed to ask this, so what's Satan's name? If it's not Lucifer, if it's not <laughs> Satan, you know, it. I, I assume where it's an individual, right? A spirit that led away all the, you know, a third of the hosts of heaven, it's a person. What do we know? Is there a, a agreed upon name that we're like, that's Dave? Well, Dave it, it, it depends on what text you want to grant ultimate authority to. Um, if you grant authority to the book of Revelation, then Satan is functioning by that time as, as a, a personal name. Um, because it's it's a borrowing from another language. Mm -hmm. And so the Greek speakers don't immediately recognize it as this Hebrew generic noun. And so it becomes more like a name. And so it's easier for this borrowing from another language to turn into a personal name. But if you give priority to the Anakic literature, maybe it's Mastema or Shemizaha or, or any one of a number of other um, angels, uh, fallen angels who are said to be kind of the leader of the evil spirits. Um, and there are a handful of great books on this that that discuss this in, in great detail. One that uh, that I really enjoyed is uh, one by a scholar named Ryan Stokes called Satan, How God's Executioner Became the Enemy, hmm. uh, which is, is really good. That goes through the development uh, of the concept. And there are a handful of others. But uh, yeah, it, it really depends on, on where you want to grant ultimate authority. We're negotiating with all of this. And so it depends on 
on what you're trying to get out of it and what you want to grant ultimate authority. And I'm, as a, as a scholar here, I'm not trying to say this is doctrine. I'm trying to just call kind of academic balls and strikes and say, sure. um, this is how a scholar approaches this. And so this is not uh, about personal beliefs, but. Give yeah, me those two a, names again. They seem so menacing. I love it. Mastema uh-huh. and Shemizaha. Yeah. Um, there's also, oh, what's, an, what's another one? Um, oh. I heard I heard another one the other day that was um oh um Melkira Shah. Okay. Which would be um my king is wickedness. Ooh. Yeah. So that's okay. a it's, okay. that's another name that's attributed to one of these leader of leaders of the evil spirits. You know, the unfortunate thing that we've just created is because here in the state of Utah we give people the most crazy names. You know that there's gonna be a few of those names wandering around now. You've done it. We'll spell it, we'll spell it with Y's that should be I's and you know, all those things, of course. But look what you've created. Uh we only have just a couple more minutes. And so I wanna ask you, uh, you said that there are maybe a myth or two about the adversary, about Satan, about the devil, something that will leave us going, huh, I do want to learn more. And then you're able to tell people about how they could learn more. Well, I think uh, these days there are a lot of uh, conspiracy theories out there. Are a lot of myths about the signs of the times, the, um, the, the end of times, the last days. And so we see things associated with the number 666, for instance, monster energy drinks. There's the famous video of the, the lady suggesting that the claw marks there uh, actually spell out 666 in Hebrew because the Vav is the, has a value of six in Hebrew. But it is definitely not that because 666 is uh, wouldn't be written Vav, Vav, Vav because you add the value of the numbers up. So Vav, Vav, Vav just is um, has a value of 18. So oh. it's definitely not that. Uh, and we also have the mark of the beast, which is another thing coming from the book of Revelation that anytime some company comes out with some idea for a microchip that can be implanted in your hand or something like that, it's, it's the mark of the beast. And this is the sign of the end times. But uh, the mark of the beast was uh, something that was, again, referring to the economy of first century CE, uh, Greece and Rome. And this was more about um, kind of a counterfeit um, reflection of uh, Jewish signs of piety. For instance, the um, if you've ever seen the uh, Jewish folks have the, the leather cords wrapped around their, their hands and, and in their hands, and they would also have the phylactery, a box with um, some scrolls with some text from the Torah written on them that would go around their head. So those are are things that go on the forehead and go on the hand. Um, and so to some degree, I think the mark of the beast is kind of uh, a reflection of this counterfeit version mm. of early Judaism. Uh, but instead of having the the words of God and the name of God on them, it would be uh, this uh, sign of, of Nero Caesar and that, that would take over the economy and uh, Christians would be um, would basically be suppressed and marginalized within that economy. But again, this is imagery. These are symbols that refer to Christian experiences in the first century CE. And the data don't support the notion that they are prophecies about the future. Every generation has tried to find um, indications that their generation is what has been indicated by uh, the symbols and the images in Revelation. But it's been 2,000 years, and uh, it hasn't happened yet. So, um, Well, I'm, I want you to know I got three doses of the Mark of the Beast because I just <laughs> wanted to be healthy. So, I mean, you think what you want, Dan, but we all know. We all know who's buying up the farmland and what they're trying to put into us, Dan. <laughs> he said very sarcastically and bombastically. Tell everybody, you're uh, you're teaching a thing about Satan. Tell people about how they can uh, register for that and, and get involved with that, and then I'll set you about your day. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, I'm doing a, an online class. I've been doing these about every four to six weeks uh, lately, and this one is on Satan and the Bible. And I'm going to do an hour presentation over Zoom talking about the development of the concept of Satan in more detail, as well as other fallen angels and the texts where these ideas are are developed and negotiated. Uh, and then I'm going to do a half hour Q&A at the end of that class. And this is a pattern I've set up. Uh, and if you go to any of my social media accounts, I should have a link tree link on my profile that will take you to a place where you can go uh, to the website to uh, register, or you can go to dan-mcclellan.square.site. 
uh, and that'll take you straight there. But uh, I'm just asking for a donation of whatever people feel like. So there's a minimum donation of a dollar. If you want to join me for a dollar, you're welcome to join me for a dollar. And everybody who registers will get sent a Zoom link on um, Wednesday, February 22nd for the class on Thursday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And then on that Friday, everybody who registers, whether they attend or not, so you don't have to attend live, uh, will get a link sent to them to a Dropbox folder where I'll have a recording of the class, I'll have a bibliography, I'll have the PowerPoint that I use in the class, and any other class materials that I have there. That's awesome. So that people are free to go watch at their leisure uh, and do any additional research they feel like. And a, a great rate, uh, resource, you know, just to have for someone that's studying, you know, keep it be able to teach about it and teach the things. Uh, we'll be able to leave a link in the show notes to all of what oh, you cool. just said so people can just click. They're not going to remember any of that, Dan. They'll just go, <laughs> it's in the show notes, click, buy, get in. Uh, and yeah, don't be cheap. It's a lot of work. Dan puts a lot of work. As you can tell, he puts a lot of effort in it. These things are great. Uh, look forward to more things that you have uh, as you come forward. And, and maybe we'll have you back in and get to know you a little bit more and find out some of the crazy stuff that's happened as you've hopped into this social media space. But that time's not right now. Our time is up. I've got to go uh, burn a sacrifice. That's what I'm doing. And then... Uh, <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.